weeks, I bet you can guess what I'm preaching about. Can I, can I hear a word? Love. Love. Oh, man, you guys, good, good job, class, paying attention. We are going to be talking about love. In fact, we've been in a series called Faith, Hope, and Love. And uh, the first week, obviously, we dealt with faith. And hey, wouldn't you guys like to operate in mountain-moving faith? Jesus said, if we have faith, we can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. So we believe in that kind of faith. God wants us to operate in that. Uh, we, ta- we, uh, we also talked about hope, and hope is expecting God, knowing that God is going to come through. We don't always know when. We don't always know how. But living with that kind of expectation and anticipation that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. And it's so important for us to to operate in faith and hope. Paul said, now these three remain. These are the three last things that remain standing. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so today we're going to be talking about that. I want to talk about the power of love, and uh, I didn't even steal that from Huey Lewis and the News. That, that comes right out of the Bible. I'll talk about it here in just a moment, but let's look at it right. In fact, let's go, to, let's go right to Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to read verses 14 through 21. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church of, peop- of, of all, just a bunch of believers, And he says to them, and beginning at verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Can I get a good amen out there? And so, in that passage, Paul's prayer, among other things, involves a comprehension, a knowing of the love of God, a being rooted in it and grounded in God's love, to know it not just intellectually, but to know it experientially. And he says that this all happens by the inner working of the power of God through His Holy Spirit. And so that's, where, that's how we're able to love. It's by the power of God. And we, so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the power of love. So Lord, thank You for Your presence here today. And Lord, we just invite You now. God, I just pray that You would retrain our brains to think according to Your Word and according to Your ways, especially on this issue of love. Lord, it, as somebody prayed over me this morning and said, this is a broad subject, Lord, there's, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. God, I just pray that you would hone in on the things that we need to hear today and the places where we need to grow. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Let your anointing be in this room, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Why don't you turn to somebody in the spirit of love and just tell them, this one is especially for you. Go ahead and tell them that. Go ahead and just, amen. Well, these are, I think, very strange and unusual times that we're living in today. I don't want to kind of blow things out of proportion, but it feels like the atmosphere of our culture right now is, it feels like there's a lot of hostility and a lot of hatred Uh, that at least is perpetuated via media, but I think there is some reality. I think there is some some reality uh, in this because it kind of reminds me, whenever I read through the book of Revelation and I come to chapter 9, I know Revelation largely has to do with things yet to happen, 
But when I come to chapter 9 and it talks about how there was unleashed out of the bottomless pit these scorpion-like creatures, and, uh, which was basically a demonic horde that was unleashed on the planet. And it says that they didn't have any power to kill, but they had a stinging power, a hurting power, and that they would go throughout society and cause great sickness to come on society. And so whenever I read that, sometimes I just have this, I, this idea that even though that hasn't actually literally happened yet in, in, in the prophetic sense, it is a picture, I think, of what kind of happens when we see this unleashing in our society. It just seems like almost out of nowhere, it just seems like this, these demonic hordes are unleashed on society and we become sick and uh, with, with the bite, the lies in our, in our cultures. And so it just seems like that's what's happening. And, the, and the, we, I think we can sense the sting of what I would call politically charged social issues that has brought a real sickness in our world today. It feels like we've been thrust into a kind of civil war where there's a bunch of hot rhetoric and accusation, blame flying back and forth. It could be a racial thing. It could be a social thing. It could be a political thing that's going on in our society. And we as Christians don't want to get caught up and swept up in the fussing and the fighting, but we also don't want to feel like we're being made to accept something that we know in the deepest parts of our heart that it isn't true. And so we feel like, we feel the proverbial caught between a rock and a hard place kind of thing, where we don't want to be come off as offending and unloving, but we also don't want to get swept up in just kind of sweeping things under the rug and just acting like there's no issue here at all. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Not trying to be political. I'm just, talk, just trying to, to paint the picture of the atmosphere that we all are walking through right now in our world. And this is the world that we live in. And, uh, and this is the same world, by the way, that God so loved that he gave his son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So this is the same kind of, the, the, the hostility and the hatred, Paul said, Paul said, we were all enemies of God. And God showed his love by giving us his son while we were yet sinners. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to redeem us. This is how God loved us. This is how God loved, this is how God loves the world. And then he turns around and says, Now I want you to love the world the way that I love the world. Okay, I got a woo. Come on now, can I get a good amen? This kind of world, the Lord says, this kind of hate-filled, if you will, hostile environment that we find ourselves thrust into the middle of, and we didn't ask for it, we don't want it, but you know, guess what? You're here. And he says, I want you to love the world the way that I love the world. How does God love the world? Well, in the Greek language, there are different, there are four, maybe five different kind of Greek words that are translated love, but the one that stands head and shoulders above the rest is agape love. And agape love is a God kind of love. And it's a love that is not based in how I feel about something. It's not based in how uh, the performance or the actions of another person, but it is a love that chooses to love despite what somebody does or doesn't do that I may like or I may dislike. In other words, I don't love based upon their actions or how I feel about them. I love them despite how they may live their life. 
That's how God loved us. We call it unconditional love. God loved us unconditionally in the sense that God demonstrated his own love toward us. Romans 5 and 8 says, in that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. God said, I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. I'm going to love you. And so there, in that sense, there is no condition on God's love. It is not only unconditional, it is proactive. He, did the, he took the first step in loving us. Amen. And God says, I want you to love the same way. The most powerful thing that we can do in a world that is full of hate and hostility right now is to love. That's the most powerful thing we can do. Amen. I'm going to preach anyway, even if you don't amen me out there. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, yet in all these things, let me just stop right there, in all these things, he had just got done talking about in persecutions, in strifes, in hostilities, in famines, in nakedness, and sword. He said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the power of love. And that's what he's called us to. To love with that kind of love. Because love, like God's love did for us, God's love chased us down. And God's love changed us. So God is saying, I want you to know that your love has life transforming power in it. And I want you to love like I love. So we're going to talk about the overcoming, transforming power of God's love. And I just want to start off by saying to experience the power of God's love, number one. We all must embrace the love God has for us. That's the first place we have to start. I need to embrace the reality of God's love for me. Because you know what? You can't give what you, have, what you don't have. Or what you don't know that you have. Or believe that you have. This is why the Apostle Paul prayed, as we read it just a few moments ago... Back in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. That word rooted means to be like a tree which roots are growing down into the depths of God's love. Rooted and grounded speaks of a foundation. You can't build a building unless you first lay the foundation. And so he said, I want you to be rooted in God's love. I want you to have the foundation of God's love to know how high it is, how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is, that you would know the love of God, that you would comprehend it, that you don't just know it because you read it in the Bible, but you know it because it's a reality in your heart and in your life. Amen. That's the kind, we need to have an experience of God's love, which means I need to embrace the reality that God loves me. He loves even me. In fact, we sang a song, I didn't even plan it. It was on the screen earlier, it talked about the love of God, and it, I can't remember exactly how it says it, but it refers to some, some fact that we, even though we're a mess, do you remember reading that? Do you remember seeing that on the screen today? about God's love, and even though we're a mess, how dare God, you know, how, how dare the song call me a mess? Well, guess what? You are. Amen. And God loves you in spite of it. He loves you right where you are. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Amen. Come on, that's a good word. And so, there are reasons, I think, that why we struggle with God's love, and there, there are probably a lot, but let me just kind of share a couple of simple ideas. Sometimes we, we have a hard time really believing and buying into the fact that God loves us sometimes because, well, sometimes we believe the devil's lies about us more than God's truth about us. The devil is a liar, and he talks to you. Did you know that? And not every thought you think is your thought. Sometimes it's a demonic thought. 
And it's an unworthy lie. The, the enemy will come at you and lie to you and try to tear you down and tear you up. And listen, when we start believing those and rehearsing those and going over those in our mind and thinking that way and thinking those thoughts and dwelling on that, you're not worthy, you're a mess, you're a foul up, you're a failure, God, God can't possibly love you. That is what the devil is out. He's, he's out to accuse the brethren. And he wants to rob you of any confidence that you can have in the reality of God's love, how God loves you. And if I feel like I'm not worthy, how can I give out in a world of hurt and hostility what I myself am struggling with? And so we, sometimes we believe the lies more than we believe the truth. Another thing that sometimes why we struggle with God's love is that we are projecting our painful circumstances onto God's lack of care and concern for our life. Like, God, why did you let this happen? How could you, God? I mean, why weren't you there for me? Why didn't you stop this thing from happening? Listen, you can't in one breath say, God loves you and I love God, and then be turning around in the next breath and be blaming God for all the problems and the, and the, the difficulties you're going through in your life. Amen. <laughs> Well, I'm not preaching great, but this is still, a per this is still the truth. <laughs> Amen. Here's another reason why we struggle with God's love, and I'll give it to you in a, in, in a three-letter word, sin. And you know what comes with sin? There's pleasure in sin, but then right, right behind it comes shame and guilt and regret and condemnation. Stuff that just beats you down and just rips and tears at your soul. And we fall short of the glory of God and we step into sin and we fall down. The Bible calls it besetting sin. And sometimes we step into it, sometimes we fall into it, sometimes we think about it, debate it, and go ahead and do it. And then what happens as a result of going after that and opening our hearts to that, then we get beat up and we get, you know, we just tear ourselves down. And you know, Satan doesn't even have to hardly do anything about it. We do it to ourselves. And we beat ourselves up and we rake ourselves over the coals. And, and this is why the writer said, just lay aside every besetting sin. Just get it, get, take it off of your shoulders. Go like this a little bit. And just say, you know what? I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to dwell there. I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to walk out of there. But, but because we don't sometimes and we grovel and we pull ourselves through the muck and the mire of our, our own actions, we have a really hard time with believing that God genuinely loves me. I, I claim that I'm real, but I feel like such a fake I can't fully embrace God's love when I'm also, well, honestly, playing around with something and trying to hide it. I don't want that, but I'm hiding it. Sometimes I have, did you know that some of us have, anybody here have a cat or dog? Scorpion? Uh, <laughs> a snake? Sometimes. Some of us have what we call pet sins, too things we kind of like, things we don't kind of like it. We don't think it's that big of a deal. But sin always comes with shame and condemnation, even if it's a pet. You know, that pet will bite you. That one will bite you. That one will get you at some point. Amen? Now listen, I'm not here to dwell on sin. I'm talking about the love of God. But these are issues that sometimes block our embracing God's love. But I want to remind us what Paul said. He said, God, God's love is wide. Let's talk about the width just for a second. It's all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. God's love is wide. There isn't one person in this room that God doesn't welcome that God doesn't love. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter how much bank I, <laughs> much bank I have. It doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank. It doesn't matter if I, what gender I am or where I'm from or my social standing. God's love is open to me. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen? His hands are wide open to every one of us. 
His love reaches beyond the borders of Israel. And guess what? His love reaches beyond the borders of the United States of America. God loves all people everywhere. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. White signifies their purity and their righteousness before God. Palm branches are a signet that they are praisers and worshipers. There are people all over this planet that love Jesus and are loved by Jesus, even you. You're in that number. Amen. And so Paul said, God's love is wide. He welcomes all. Let me tell you something. God is moving all over the world. I was talking, one of our generals, Raymond Culpepper, uh, in our denomination, came through town on Friday. Uh, his wife and me and Julie, we went to lunch with them. And we were sitting there visiting. And he was telling me, you know, in the United States of America, the Church of God has 6,000 churches. Now, that's not very big by a lot of denomination standards. He says, but God is moving in South, uh, he said, in Latin America. Things are happening from Mexico all the way down to the southern tip of um, South America. Thank you. I, I, I would like a little help once in a while. <laughs> so, no. Uh, he said, the church of God right now has fifteen to 16,000 churches all across that southern hemisphere. Man, God is moving. Amen, church. Come on. Can we give God all the glory for what he's doing? God's love is not only wide, but it's long. It, this means it's never-ending. God's love is never-ending. God's love is, is long in the sense that it is eternal. It is infinite. It is, there is no limitation to his love for you and I. You can't outrun his love. I love the song we used to sing around here a little bit more. It says, God's love never gives up, never runs out on me. No matter where I am, there is the love of God. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And that was God speaking to the nation of Israel. They had run away from God. They had run off in their own sin. They had run off in their own rebellion. But God said, I showed up from afar. I came to you from afar, from of old, is what he said. But really, the, the word for old really should read afar. I have come from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You trying to outrun me, you can't outrun me. I'm faster than you. Woo, come on. How many of you know God can beat you in a race? So he says, my love is long. But Paul said, not only is his love long, his love is deep. I don't know if you were here for Christmas, but we had the Bee Gees here. Remember the 70s group, the Bee Gees? Some of you look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? You remember the song by the Bee Gees, the old rock and roll 1970s song? How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know. Well, how deep is the love of God? How deep will it go? Well, here's what David said in Psalms 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Isn't that amazing? Wherever... I am, there you are. Now, don't look at me with blank stares because I didn't write the scripture. David said, listen to me. David said, if I make my bed in hell. If I make my bed in hell, there you are. Now, I got to thinking about that. I never really thought about it. I, I preached this. I quoted this before. But I got to thinking about it. What is hell? Well, in the Bible, hell is a place of darkness. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place void of the presence of God. Another thing I noticed in the Scriptures is hell is also the place of our own choosing. It's not that God wants 
to send us there. We choose, in rejecting Jesus, we choose hell. David said, if I make my bed in hell. This is, to me, profound because it's almost, well, let me, let me just say it this way. Have you ever read the story of David? David made his bed, and consequentially, he had, to he, had to, he had to sleep in it, so to speak, or he had to deal with the consequences of it, but God's love never gave up on him. God's love always chased him down. God's love reached into the depths of his brokenness and in, in, into his rebellion. God didn't excuse it. He had to live with the consequences of it, but he made his bed in hell. Amen. But he says, if I make my bed in hell, whoa, you're there. That's the love of God. That's how deep his love will go. But he also has, his love is high. It reaches to the heaven. His love is an uplifting love. Listen to the psalm in Psalms 94. It says, when I thought, when I thought, my foot slips, Everybody thought, I'm falling. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it here. I'm going to mess up. He says, your steadfast, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up, or you lifted me up, or you picked me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Sometimes we feel like we're in a free fall of, in, our, in our lives and walking through pain and going through worry and fear and frustration and, and we're just overcome. Like he said here, when my, when my heart, in my heart there were many, many cares and I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lose it here. Anybody ever lost it? Come on. He said, the Lord in his great love held me up. He lifted me up. He steadied my soul in his love. And so God wants to lift us. God's love is it is wide, all-encompassing. It is long. It never ends. Right? It's deep. It goes even to the deepest, darkest places of our own lives. And it's high. It lifts us. It lifts us up. That's where you belong, by the way. Not down in the dregs but lifted in his love. Amen. I thought of another song. I'm just not going to bring it up because it's not Christian. So, the power of God's love is manifest. The working of his power and his love in our hearts when we first of all embrace his love. And when I believe in God's love, then, number two, I can express his love. And that's where we need to get to because God wants us to love as he loves. In fact, I want you to notice this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, this is Paul writing again to the same church. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Pamela, if you would go back to the start of that, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. The next, the next phrase is, walk in love. In other words, he's saying, imitate the love of your Father. Imitate God's love. But I want you to notice, he says, imitate God as dear children. Children, by nature, are imitators. They watch you, they are listening to you, and if you don't like what you see, you probably should look in the mirror, because they're getting stuff from you, and they're gravitating, they're hearing your words, they're watching your ways, and they're following your actions, and listen, where it concerns children, more is caught than taught, probably. Amen. I don't care. I'm going on anyway. <laughs> they do as they see. They say what they hear. They talk like they hear talk. And people are shocked when their kids swear. 
Why are you shocked? You swear. They hear what they hear, they they say what they what they're watching in our lives, they do. And so Paul is saying to us, he says, Listen, you're children of God. Look at him. Look at how he loves. Look at the way he lives. Look at what he does. Follow that. Imitate that. Go after that. Be like him. And what is God like? He is love. God is love. Amen. And so he says, look to Jesus. Look at how Jesus loved. As he laid down his life, he became a sacrifice of God, a sweet-smelling aroma. He said, look at the way that Jesus loved. Love like Jesus loved. Look at the way Jesus loved people, individuals, masses, people that were broken, people that were leper, people that were women, people that were men, people that were Gentile, people that were Jew. Watch how Jesus loved. You love like that. That's how you love. That's the way you love. Once you've embraced God's love, the next thing we got to do is love, express God's love. And listen, the love of Jesus is not, theo- it's not theoretical. It's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's not a scripture in, a, in the Bible. It is practical, intentional, purposeful. Amen. That's how Jesus loved. So I was, I was wondering about love. And I wanted to get a good definition, so I Googled it. And this is what Google has to say about love. Love is an intense feeling or deep affection. An intense feeling. Now listen to these words. It's an intense feeling or a deep affection. Love is a great interest and pleasure in something or someone. Love is a strong affection for another rising out of kinship or personal ties. Love is attraction based on sexual desire. Of course, you can't leave that one out. Love is a profoundly tender and passionate affection for another person. Now listen to all of those definitions that you would find on Google. The problem with these definitions is that love largely has to do with how I feel about another person. The definition of love is largely based on what I experience from you and how I feel about you and what I like about you and the passion that is arousing me concerning you or the affection that I have. But that's not agape love. That's not God love. That's Google love. That's not God love. Because God love is agape love and it's not based on feeling and it's not based on performance. In fact, let me give you a working definition of love. Here it is. Love is when the wants and needs of another person become more important to me than my own. Love is not focused on what makes me happy. Happiness in a relationship is a byproduct. It's not based on that. Love is about me giving to you love is about me loving you love is about me focused on you upon your life upon your wants upon your needs amen (laughs) so that's your working definition love is when the wants and needs of another become more important to me than my own that's the sweet smelling aroma of love that's the sweet smell of love amen So whenever you walk in the room, people should smell love. Smells so good in here. Why, it's me. Amen. Funny you should ask. What are you wearing? Love. So how do we love like God loves? Well, now we're going to get down and dirty, practical. Here's how we love. Here's how Jesus loved. And I think there's probably more than this, but let's talk about it. Love, true love, honors the dignity of others. What we mean by that is love, here's what we know. People are worthy of love and they are worthy of respect because all people were created in the image of God and after God's likeness. Everybody. 
everybody. Come on. Everybody. Even your worst nightmare. Amen. And they are worthy of respect. They are worthy of honor. They are worthy of love because they were fashioned in the image and after the likeness of God. This is how Jesus loved people. As I already said, he, he would sit with women and love them for who they were, even though they may have been rejected by society. He would reach out and love the leper. And, and listen, he literally would touch them. Amen. He would love them right where they were in their brokenness. He would love them for who they were. Why? Because they were created in the image of God and after His likeness. So He honored them. He honored the dignity of others. Jesus taught us that we need to honor and dignify our neighbors who are different from us. Jesus said one day, He said, I want you to love your neighbor. And somebody said, well, who's my neighbor? And then he began to tell them a story about a good Samaritan. Actually, there was a Jewish man walking on the road. He was attacked. He was beaten up. He was robbed from, and he was left for dead. And a couple of religious Jewish people walked by, and they looked at the man, and they didn't even reach out to help their own kind, their, his own, their own people, if you will. And they just passed him on by. But this good Samaritan, this guy that was not a Jew, he was a Samaritan, and they were at odds with one another. In their standing politically and racially, they were, they were against one another. And really, the Jews probably hated the Samaritans more, actually. But Jesus gave a story about the Samaritans stopping and administering love and healing to that man, putting him on his own donkey, riding him into the next town, paying for his board for the next few days so that the man could be healed. They were not together politically. They were not together religiously. They were not together in their race. They were, they were at extreme differences. And Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. <laughs> Amen. Your neighbors who are different than you. They don't think like you. They don't vote like you. They don't walk like you. They don't like the same things as you like. I want you, who's my neighbor? Jesus basically said, everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. Well, what if they're not Christian? Especially. Absolutely. Amen. This is hard stuff to swallow sometimes. Jesus said, love your neighbors who are different from you. Here's, a, here's another thing Jesus told us to dignify and to honor. He said, love your enemies who are against you. Love them. Let me give you a warm, fuzzy scripture you're going to love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Don't you just love that? Doesn't that just give you the chills? He says, love your enemies. How do I do that? Well, if they curse you, you bless them. Amen. If they um, hate you, do something good for them. This is in the Bible, by the way. I'm reading from the red print. That's extra. That's extra homework right there. And he says, if they persecute you, that is, they defame you or beat you or, you know, come against you, just pray for them. Just pray. That's what love does. Now, we live in a world right now, and I don't want to get political, but let me just kind of lock into this idea just for a moment, because I think we all feel it, and we all face it a little bit. But we live in a, in a culture today that wants to say that if you love me, you'll agree with me. That's, that's kind, of, kind of the culture today. Like, if you don't agree with what I think about myself, about my gender, about my politics, or, you know, or, or you know, if you, don't, if, we, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. Now listen. <laughs> Let's see, how do we... 
Love, true love doesn't seek to be accepted, but true love does try to understand, like have an understanding of people and their brokenness. And so Paul said it like this. He said, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. They, they're blinded. And then he would go on and say later, this is why I try to become all things to all people that I somehow might win some. So sometimes the world says today, well, if you love me, you'll agree with me. And they'll say, isn't, you know, like, you know, the whole idea of God is love, what they really sometimes mean is love is God. And the problem with that is, is that love is not God. God is love. How many of you know that's true? But love is not God. Love's not God. God is love, but love's not God. Because if love is God, then your definition of love is what you think God says, and it would be different. Are you with me there? And so what we're trying to say here is that I can dignify another person, disagree with them, fully not accept what they're dishing out, but I feel like we can still love them. Now, I can't accept, you can't manipulate me and force me to accept everything you're saying, but I can understand where you're coming from. And that's the goal. Why? So that we by somehow we can become all things to all people that we might win some. Amen. And so that's the goal. That's what God wants us to do. And how do we do this? Well, the very first thing we need to do is just honor people, love people for who they are, give them dignity, respect them, because that's what Jesus did. Amen. Are we okay out there? Number two, love not only gives dignity to others, but love endures the difficulties caused by others. Have you ever met a difficult person in your life? If you, don't, if you didn't say anything, you're probably the one that's difficult. No. <laughs> true love, you probably have learned by now, true love isn't easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And not everybody's doing it. Amen. Paul says, here's how we love one another. Here's how we love others. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is, I'm going to get you back for what you did. That's malice. He said, let all that be put away and be kind to one another. In the original language, it literally means keep on being kind. Be kind continuously to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. Everybody say forgiving. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then we come back to where we started. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Love like Christ's love. So what we see here is that he's saying, listen, we all have relation, relational difficulties in our families, in our marriages, in our, in our neighborhoods, with our neighbors, in the church, believe it or not. And so what do we do with all this? Well, love, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, he says, love endures all things. Sometimes you just got to endure. Endure it. Not again. Amen. You mean to tell me again. Love endures all, how many things? All things. All things. I didn't write that. I would take that one out. So here's endurance. No, I, I better not. Because you know, if you add to or subtract from, it's not good. Did you know that? Don't be leaving stuff out of your Bible when you read it. Amen. Anyway. 
Here's what enduring difficult difficulties caused by others looks like. He said, put away. Everybody say, put away. Put away bitterness. Don't be bitter. Get better. Right? The old saying is, wrath. Here's wrath. I'm not going to dwell on all these words, but I, w- I did want to pull out a couple of ideas. The word wrath in the, in the Greek language, come, it's a thumos, and we get our, our word thermos from that. So what do we do with thermoses? Well, generally we put hot liquid in a thermos, and then we screw down the lid, and then we carry it with us so that when I want that hot beverage, I just unscrew the lid, pour it in its little cup, and drink it because I wanted it. That's wrath. That's thumos. That's a thermos. In other words, what happens to us, he says, you need to get rid. You're putting, you're putting the hot rage of disappointment and you're, you're screwing down the lid and you're carrying it around with you. And whenever you need it, you open it up and you drink it. He says, you need to unscrew that and pour it out like a libation like a drink offering on the ground. Get rid of that wrath. Get rid of it. Amen. You don't need that. That's one hot liquid you don't need. Go to Starbucks and get a good coffee. Amen. I guess they make good coffee. I don't know. Anyway, I don't need to dwell on this because you know what it is to have relational difficulties. But I do want to just say something about relationships and how hard it can be sometimes to love people that are, you know, we all hurt because we've all been hurt, and we, and we all can tend to wound, and we don't even mean it, we don't even think we're doing it, because we ourselves have been wounded, and we just learn behavior, you know, in our lives. Well, one of the ways to love and, and just kind of endure, I heard somebody say this, and I, it's right here, I wrote it down. This person said, sometimes we kill the relationship to save the issue when we need to kill the issue to save the relationship. There are times that we hold on to things because we just, we're right, and you're wrong. And it's killing our relationships. There are times in order to love somebody, you just got to let something go. Because that's not going to help the relationship. And so love endures difficulties in relationships with others. One final thought. Love invests in the destiny of others. Love invests in the destiny of others. I want you to read this. I want to read this to you. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. It says, Now when they had Finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, what is so significant about that is that Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Jonathan, by tradition, was next in line to be the king. But when Jonathan knew David and began to understand David, he saw in David destiny. And he knew that David was going to be the next king, not him. Even though he could have taken the throne by, you know, by, I guess by right, but God had already had established it, but Jonathan saw it. And maybe David didn't even see it in himself. Maybe David didn't fully realize, even though by this time he had already been anointed king, but maybe David didn't fully grasp his own destiny in God, but Jonathan saw it. And Jonathan was willing to take from him his own life, his own robe, his own armor, and he invested it into the life of David because he loved him, 
Not because David was better than him, and he, not because, out of envy, not out of spite, but because he loved David. He saw in David destiny. And see, this is what love does. Love comes to us. God wants us to see in others what maybe they don't see in themselves. And to love them, to give out of our own resources, out of our own lives, what they have coming to them from me, from you. Amen. And love doesn't think about itself. True love is not in it for what we can get out of it. True love is in it to invest in others. And that means your wives and your husbands and your children and one another and the people of our world, investing in them. Amen. So this is, this is love. Love is, honors the dignity of others. Love endures the difficulties that others bring into our lives and love invests in the destiny of others. Can we all stand together? Amen. Do we have prayer people here today that are going to come and be willing to pray? I want to make this available. If you need prayer for anything today, we want to invite you to come and be prayed for healing prayer or saving prayer or just kind of anything in your life that you need God to touch your heart in. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we just want to thank you, God, that you loved us with a great love. God, even, even though we sometimes have made our bed in hell, so to speak, you, you loved us still. Thank you, Lord, that even if we were running, your love was everlasting. And I pray for every one of us in this room, Lord, that we would fully embrace your love, that we would get a full revelation of how much you love us, how true your love is for us. In fact, Lord, I just want to pray for a baptism of love right now to just fall upon this congregation and everyone in this room, God, that you would just bathe us all in your love, that you would overwhelm us with your love. Even now, God, that we would sense the love of God. Like the old song says, the love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and great. A love that shall forevermore endure. God, that's what we want in our lives. That's what we need. And God, we are living in a world that is filled with hate and discord, but I pray, God, that we would stand out in the crowd, not to bring attention to ourselves, but to bring attention to your love. Lord, I pray that you would give us the power of love to make a difference in our culture and in our time. We thank you, Lord, that you always love us. In Jesus' name.